The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Amen. How do you handle it when someone takes advantage of you? Your help is needed. It's going to take your time. It's going to take some skill that is unique to you that the person you're helping doesn't have. Might even take some money. You give your time. You use your skills You you write the check, you you give the cash, but it's not appreciated. Your time is not appreciated, your skill is not appreciated. The money that you've handed over willingly, eagerly, not appreciated. The person comes back not long later expecting more from you, just expecting Assuming that you're going to jump up and and, and help again. No questions asked. No seeming thought given to the value of your time. What else you might need to do. Or how much money you even have. The assumption is there. You are going to help again. How do you handle it when you're underappreciated? Maybe even taken advantage of. 
I don't handle that so well. I'm guessing you're probably like me. I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is one of those gospel accounts that is in all four gospels. Sometimes it's kind of fun to compare the accounts and see what, what information do we have in the one that's not in the other. And, and when we paint a, a picture of the whole account, what, what do we see? So for the first few minutes of our sermon today, I'm just going to reread some of the sections in our text and, and bring in some of the details from the other gospel lessons to help broaden the, the scene. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. So as we peruse the other gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, we learn that Jesus had just sent his disciples out on a little mission trip, two by two, So six groups of two disciples going out into the neighboring villages and towns. They were preaching and and helping the the needs of others. They've just gotten back. They're they're sharing a recap, if you will, with Jesus of all the things that had happened while they were on their mission trip. News reaches Jesus and his disciples that John the Baptist had just been executed. So they're physically tired, they've been, they've been working hard, now they're emotionally drained from the work and the news that their friend and co-worker John the Baptist had been put to death. These guys are in need of a, of a little break, some time to recharge. In Mark's gospel, we hear these beautiful words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We're told they hop into a boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee toward a a solitary place. A place where they could be alone. A place where they could breathe and enjoy nature. Recharge. Fill up so that they can go back to, to serving the needs of people once again in a short time. But when they get to the other side of the lake, And they're heading to that solitary mountainside. They look, and what do they see? A mass of people coming toward them. What does Jesus do? Sorry, we're on vacation. Got to give us some space. I'm about to say that at the end of the service today. Sorry, going on vacation. Here's some phone numbers you can call if you need anything. No, no. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say, I need to recharge. He doesn't say, give me a break. He doesn't say, well, disciples, you guys go over there and, and take a rest. I'll, I'll take care. No. Jesus and the disciples, they, they serve. One gospel tells us that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God to the crowds. Then he does the miracle. So he's taking care of them spiritually. He's preaching the word of God to them. Then this amazing miracle where he takes a little boy's lunch and he just keeps breaking off piece after piece after piece after piece until 5,000 men, not including women and children, have eaten and had their fill. And then as the disciples go around and pick up all the leftovers, they each have a basket full for themselves. Jesus even provides for the needs of his disciples through this miracle. Jesus is tired. His disciples are tired. They're physically worn out. They're emotionally worn out. And what do they do? They serve. 
they serve. You know, you, you go on and, and you realize that as this account carries on, you learn some things about these people that Jesus helped. At the very end, Jesus says they intended to come and make him king by force. Jesus knew what they wanted from him. And so he goes away to a quiet place. Think about that for a second. These people had come to Jesus at a time when he was tired, when he was worn out, and he helps. But what do they want? More. They see Jesus as this genie in a bottle, this blank check that can be cashed to take care of all of their physical needs, anything they could ever want or need. Who better to be their king than this Jesus? The guy who could lead an army into battle, and when the battle was over against those, those Roman oppressors, when the battle was over, Jesus could raise the dead soldiers back to life. He could patch up the, the stabbed and maimed soldiers and bring them to full strength immediately. And then he could pull a little bread out of his satchel, and he could distribute it to the whole army so they could all eat all they want. And then they could get up the next day and go do it all over again. This is an army that even Rome would not be able to defeat. They look at Jesus and they see the answer to all their problems, freedom from oppression and a limitless supply of everything that we need to eat. Everything that we need for our bodies here on earth. Jesus leaves, but you might not remember what happens next. The disciples get into a boat, they head across the lake, Jesus comes down from the mountain in the middle of the night, walks across the water, hops into the boat. They get to the other side, the crowds are still there. The the crowds that Jesus fed, they wake up, they see one of the boats is missing, but they say, hey, Jesus didn't get into one of the boats. Let's go find him. And so they start looking for him, and that very day they find him. Looking for more. So not even 24 hours has passed since Jesus first meets these people on the hill. He teaches them God's word. He feeds them physically. The very next day, still can't get a break. They're back. What does Jesus do? He feeds them again. But this time he feeds them with the word of God and the word of God alone. He points them back to our first reading from today. You guys remember your ancestors? Moses and all those people who are walking around the desert. Remember what God did for them, right? He fed them miraculous food every single day. A limitless supply, a a check that was written out every single day, more and more and more for 40 years. Remember what happened to your ancestors? (laughs) Oh yeah, they died. They died. You're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for earthly security. You're looking for earthly food. You're looking for me to take care of you in an earthly sense. Did they see Jesus' generosity? No. Did they see his love? No. What did they see? An opportunity. An opportunity for what? Help right here, right now. And Jesus says, you are looking for the wrong kind of help. Because I could feed you every single day, bread, 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 day after day after day, for the rest of your life. I could free you from the Romans. I could do all the things you desire. But then you'd die and you'd stand before my father to be judged. And what good would all the bread do? What good would all the military victories do as you stand before my father and are judged 
for your sins. Jesus says, you don't need bread that spoils. You need a different kind of bread. Listen to what he says towards the end of John chapter 6. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. You remember what happens after that little speech? They all leave. They all leave. Jesus wasn't given what they wanted. And so off they go. So let's recap. Jesus and his disciples are spiritually, physically, emotionally tired. They go away to recharge, to spend some time pondering God's word and to rest their bodies. But they don't get a chance to rest. The crowds come. They have to serve and serve and serve and Jesus does so willingly. But then... Crowds don't appreciate Jesus' love and generosity. They take advantage of it. They want more. And did you catch the little detail toward the beginning of our text that said the Passover time was near? Seems kind of random. What does that have to do with anything? I don't think it's a, a detail without significance. Remember what was going on in Jerusalem when Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday? the meal that was being celebrated Monday, Thursday, the crowds who were there from all around, they were there to celebrate the Passover. These were people who knew God's word. These were people who celebrated the feasts. These are people who would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, who were no doubt in Jerusalem every year for the Passover. These are people who most likely were in the crowd shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Do you help people? Do you, do you love people when you're worn out, when you're tired? Do you help people who take advantage of you and don't appreciate you? Do you show love to them? How about people who are going to kill you or your family? Are you throwing parties for them? Are you taking care of their needs? Are you showing love to them? I'm not. You don't either. We, we place qualifications on our love. We, we place requirements on our love. Don't appreciate me. Don't appreciate what I do for you. My sinful self is quick to withdraw its love. You don't, you don't show me appreciation. You, don't, you try to take advantage of me? You threaten me? How many of us are quick to to continue loving, to continue serving over and over again. The proof is in the pudding. Our love is fraudulent. It is not the kind of love God demands when he says, love God, love neighbor. Our, our love is fraudulent. It is not true love. It's nothing like the love that Jesus showed. It's not sacrificing. It's not persistent. It doesn't love without, discriminate, without discrimination. Our love is qualified our love has requirements. And it's this fraudulent love that displays itself in our life so often, day after day, that is evidence of the hell that we deserve. It cries out against us, pointing that accusing finger. You are not the kind of people God wants you to be. Neither am I. 
We're nothing like Jesus. This is why it's so important for us to gather regularly to, to, to see that Jesus does not place requirements or qualifications on his love. He doesn't say to the crowd, I'll, I'll feed you, but let me rest first. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll feed you and take care of you spiritually, physically, but you have to promise not to take advantage of me. Even knowing that some of these people in the crowd are, are most likely going to be the same people who want him dead just a few years later, he still helps them. No qualifications required. This is what Jesus does for you, and this is what Jesus does for me. When you were brought to the font, you were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. You were made a brother, a sister of Jesus himself, a child of God. You are a part of God's own family. No qualifications required. And when you feel the guilt of your sin, when you see it clearly as ever, when it weighs you down and burdens you, Jesus comes to you in his word and he points you to his cross where he suffered the consequences of your sin. Mine too. The same sin that causes your guilt, the sin that makes you feel so awful, Jesus points you to the cross and assures you it's been atoned for, it's been paid for. You're forgiven. No qualification required. This is how our God treats you. This is how he treats me. When we fear death, when we walk around this life acting like death is not going to touch us, when we believe the lie that a few precautions can actually protect us from death itself, Jesus stands there through his word and he points us to an empty tomb. And he says, you're going to die, but death is not the end. I have power over death. It doesn't matter what causes your death. It doesn't matter if you die peacefully in your sleep. It doesn't matter if you die in a car wreck. It doesn't matter if you die from COVID or anything else. Your death is not the end. Jesus has real power over death. And he promises to use it to raise you and all the dead. No qualifications required. Jesus pointed these crowds, he points you and me back to Moses, back to the Israelites. He puts things in perspective. He shows us that he provides for the earthly needs of his people each and every day. The fact that you are sitting here today, whether you're here in person or at home, is proof that God has kept that promise. He has provided for your earthly needs every single day of your life, and he will continue to do so, have no doubt. As long as he wants you alive on this earth, your God will continue to provide for you. He will continue to sustain you physically. No qualification required. He doesn't say, I'm only going to feed you if... I'm only going to feed you, but no, he feeds you day after day after day, and he will continue to do so. But also walk out of here today knowing that your God doesn't just provide for you physically, he provides for you spiritually. He has provided you with daily forgiveness every single day of your life. He assures you that the death you fear is not the end. His very real power over death, his empty tomb proves it.
Walk out of here today confident. Confident in the provision of your God. He will provide physically. He will provide spiritually. Now and forever. Amen.